Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Hello, I'm Cheryl Kroviak. I manage the Texas Medical Association's Education Center. Did you know you can claim CME credit for many of TMA's podcasts? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. Click on your podcast and follow the directions to claim CME. The content of CME to go podcast does not relate to any product of a commercial interest. Therefore, there are no relevant financial relationships to disclose. And note that the information and opinions presented as part of this podcast should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney. Hello, and welcome to the Texas Medical Association's Practice Well podcast on patient behavioral health during COVID-19. My name is Anna Stelter with TMA Public Health, and my guest today is Dr. Valerie Smith. Dr. Smith is a pediatrician from Tyler, Texas, whose practice focuses on caring for children in foster care and addressing social determinants of health in clinical and community settings. Dr. Smith co-chairs the TMA Subcommittee on Behavioral Health and is a member of the TMA Council on Science and Public Health. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. So can you discuss some of the ways COVID-19 is creating conditions that are not the most favorable to good mental health? Sure. COVID-19 has really impacted almost every facet of our everyday lives. But uh, when I think about it, there are really three key factors that are contributing to mental health challenges during this time. The first is uncertainty. There's just so much that we don't know. We don't know a lot about the virus and how to treat it. We don't know how long the pandemic will last. We don't um, we don't know how long we'll need to shelter in place or practice social distancing. And people don't know if they're going to become ill or if someone that they care about might become ill. And all that uncertainty really can exacerbate anxiety and worry. This is also a time of real financial and resource strain uh, for people and their families. The economic impacts of COVID have really contributed to stress and anxiety. So many people are out of work or working less. They're struggling to feed their families, to pay bills. They're worried about losing their health care. Those who are fortunate enough to have a steady income and a job are struggling with the stress of managing time, juggling working or working from home with educating their children um, and worrying about if they leave home. Um, then they might bring the illness back to, to the, their family members. And then the last thing that I think is causing a lot of concern and worry for people is social isolation. We know that we need to be social distancing right now. We know how important it is to slowing the spread of COVID-19, um, but it means that many people are disconnected from their usual support systems. They're spending long periods of time alone um, with stresses, like financial strain and uncertainty, and that can be very isolating and detrimental to mental health. So for the reasons that you just mentioned, it's highly likely that physicians will encounter patients for whom COVID-19 has created some unfamiliar feelings of distress or maybe intensified distress they were already dealing with. Why do physicians need to stay attentive toward this in their practice? We know that mental health and physical health are intricately connected and that um, as many patients are isolated currently, 
connecting with the medical system, whether it be an in-person appointment or a televisit, maybe one of their very few touch points with the outside world on a given day or even within a week now. Um, and so many physicians have expanded telehealth and there's this real opportunity for us to connect with our patients um, at a time when their other social support systems may not be there. Can you recommend some ways physicians can assess or check in with patients on their mental health during this time? First and foremost, I think the most important thing is simply to ask. Any patient encounter right now, regardless of what it's for, should include asking a patient how they're coping or if they have any concerns about what's going on. Um, while there are formal screenings that I like to use uh, in my clinical practice, such as the PHQ-9 for depression and the SCARED for anxiety, I think the most important questions right now are simply asking people how they're adjusting. Um, do you have a support system? Do you have someone you can reach out to if you're feeling anxious or depressed? Some patients may not outright tell you that they're feeling depressed or feeling anxious, but they might report things like sleeping disturbances or problems with eating or headaches. Why is it important to pay attention to these physical indicators of mental distress? A lot of times people don't come in saying they're anxious or depressed. In the children I care for, it's often a frequent stomach ache, uh, feeling like they can't breathe, a mom who's worried that a teen isn't eating well. Um, and while we shouldn't assume that a physical complaint is related to mental health, we should always consider that in our differential and ask about stress and coping and depression as part of our review of systems for these types of complaints. So you are a physician that checks in with your patients on their mental health quite often. You're someone who's comfortable doing that in your practice. I imagine there's a lot of physicians out there who talking to their patients about mental health is maybe not a um, usual or core part of the questions that they ask when they see a patient. So what guidance or reassurance might you offer to physicians who know this is important to check in on during this unique time, but may not be entirely comfortable starting the mental health conversation? So most importantly, I would reassure people that, that they can do this, that as physicians, the same skills that you use to build rapport and develop relationships and assess patients apply to mental health issues as well. Um, a mentor of mine who's an expert in childhood trauma always reminds me to approach mental health issues just as I would knee pain. So for example, the pain question would be, what's bothering you? Are you stressed, overwhelmed, or depressed? And then how severe is it? So just as we would ask people on a pain scale to rate their pain from one to 10, we can ask them to rate the severity of their symptoms of their mental distress, health distress from one to 10. And then those questions you would ask for any other type of pain or injury. How long has it lasted? What makes it better or worse? Is it limiting function? In other words, are you having trouble working, caring for children, accomplishing your day-to-day -day tasks? Um, what are the associated symptoms? For, for mental health issues, these can include many of those uh, physical symptoms that we just mentioned, like difficulty sleeping, change in appetite, change in energy level. Um, and then have you had similar problems in the past? And then once you've used that approach and you have an idea of what the problem is and how severe it is, you can make your plan for treatment just as you would with any other medical issue. So the first question would be, do they need a medication? And if so, am I the one who should be prescribing it? Um, or does the person need to see a specialist? Um, for mental health issues, that may be a counselor, a psychiatrist, maybe their primary care physician, if you're a subspecialist who's not comfortable dealing with behavioral or mental health issues. 
And then what symptomatic treatment can I recommend that they could use at home? And what community resources are available to help address the issue? After you've done the assessment and information gathering and you've perhaps detected that someone that you're seeing is really going through a challenging time and may need some kind of intervention, are there in-office brief interventions for managing mental distress that you like to try? Or are there resources or techniques you like to recommend patients try at home? Absolutely. Once you confirm that a patient's not in crisis and in need of emergent hospitalization or intervention, and you're able to connect them to a behavioral health or primary care psychiatry colleague who can follow up with them if that's outside your scope of practice, there are a whole host of things that you can do in the office. One of my favorites is to teach people breathing techniques, especially for people who are dealing with anxiety. Uh, My favorite is called box breathing. There's a bunch of YouTube videos that you can look at that demonstrate it. It only takes about a minute and a half to teach someone. Uh, The best way to utilize box breathing is to practice it when you're not anxious and and distressed. And then uh, it's very easy to recall that calming technique afterwards. There are... This is also a great time to check in on just general coping mechanisms that people have. So asking them to identify healthy coping mechanisms that they rely on or that help calm or distress or de-stress them, such as spending time outside or exercising, connecting with a family member, whether that's in person or via FaceTime or uh, things like art, music. Uh, can all be really healthy coping mechanisms. It is also important to recognize right now that some people may be using unhealthy coping mechanisms, such as um, alcohol or other substances. And so screening for that and helping to intervene there if that's a problem that's going on can be really important. And then technology is really can be our friend in this situation. There are a whole host of apps that are available Um, A few that I really like, there's one called the Calm app. It has great breathing techniques as part of the free portion of the app. Uh, For kids who are younger, there's also a really great app called Breathe, Think, Do that has Elmo teaching them how to belly breathe. And then another app that I find really useful is called Wobot. That's W-O-E-B-O-T. And it helps users learn uh, foundations of cognitive behavioral therapy skills. In addition, if someone doesn't have access to those or they need additional help, the state has set up a COVID mental health support line that anyone can use. Um, They can reach that number at 833-986-1919. So now that people across the state of Texas are being advised to stay home whenever possible, and many of us are under stay-at-home orders from our cities and counties, um, many mental health and primary care services are being transitioned to telemedicine. There are a lot of clinicians out there who are doing telemedicine for the very first time because of COVID-19. What are some of the benefits of telemedicine to address behavioral health needs? And are there certain behavioral health services that are not conducive to telemedicine? And what can be done for those patients? So I, along with so many outpatient providers across the state and really the country right now, am in that boat. I'd never done telehealth until three weeks ago, um, but I'm now finding it a really important part of my practice. And telehealth can be a really wonderful way to address mental health concerns for the vast majority of patients. And really, there's been a, a longstanding history of use of telemedicine and telehealth for behavioral health and mental health issues. Um, it can have some great advantages. Many patients are comfortable in their own home. Scheduling is convenient because they don't have to worry about transportation issues or time management. 
uh, adolescents and young adults are often really comfortable with technology as, a, as their primary form of communication. And it can also allow patients in rural areas to link to a behavioral health professional where there may not actually be an in-person one available. As far as those patients for whom it may not be effective or ideal for, therapy with really young children can be difficult with technology. They just lack the attention span and the ability to focus and, and interface sometimes with the technology. But therapists can use shorter visits in that situation and focus on teaching parents skills that then they can utilize at home with those children. My practice primarily serves low-income families, and some of our families are struggling with internet coverage and limited data on their phones. So for these families, sometimes telephone-only calls can be appropriate. And then finally, patients with severe mental illness, such as schizophrenia, acute exacerbations of bipolar disorder, or depression with suicidality or psychosis, uh, really need to be seen more frequently, and often that needs to happen in person. You can use telehealth in those situations to check in with household members and caregivers of those patients and to ensure that their support systems are intact. So some people may be experiencing some really intense situations during COVID-19. There could be serious trauma and mental health crisis going on in their lives as a result of the pandemic. What do physicians need to know about identifying and supporting patients in serious mental distress during this time? As with any other health issue, if you're concerned that a patient is in immediate danger, connect them with help immediately. Uh, many communities have dedicated psychiatric emergency departments that can safely be accessed right now, and some larger cities have mobile mental health crisis units. Uh, it's important to identify a safe adult who can transport them if possible, and if not, EMS can be used as a last resort. Uh, mental illness can be deadly, and we shouldn't treat it differently from physical illness as far as access to care in emergent settings. Another emergency that is an issue of concern for people right now is intimate partner violence and increased child abuse. And so I think it's important to assess whether a patient is safe or not, and if they're not, to connect them to those resources to help them uh, become safe. CPS is continuing to do investigations and diligent work, making sure that children are safe, and crisis centers across the state are continuing to work with domestic violence victims. So how do you like to talk to patients and their families about COVID-19 and how to cope with the challenges that it's introducing into their lives? So as a pediatrician, I hear from parents a lot who are concerned about how COVID-19 is impacting their children. And often it has less to do with the actual illness and more to do with the changes in their education and their family structure and their just day-to-day -day lives. The first thing I try to do is reassure parents that based on everything that we know, most people especially most children who contract COVID-19, will do well and will fully recover. Um, and then I try to empower them by reminding them that we are all working together right now to protect the most vulnerable among us um, and that they have a role to play too. Diligent hand washing, social distancing, social isolation if anyone in the family is ill, um, that we all can contribute to helping end this crisis. Then I like to remind them that this is a new experience for all of us. There's, there's no book for how to restructure your life to deal with distance learning or working from home. Uh, there's no one right way to do this. And so we all need to give ourselves and our family members grace right now. 
we really are grieving the loss of a lot of things within our society from for children, especially from things like graduations to end of year experiences. Uh, as adults are changing travel plans and thinking about the new economic realities for them. And we need to allow space for that with each other. I do really want to remind people that the most significant buffers from trauma and distress are safe, stable, nurturing relationships. Providing those will help their family members to be resilient regardless of the challenge. Do you find that patients are negatively affected or overwhelmed right now by what they're hearing and seeing about COVID-19 in the media? And do physicians need to be prepared to educate or otherwise address this when they see patients? Some families are overwhelmed, but many families that I work with have already started to limit their media exposure so that they don't focus only on COVID-19 right now. Um, physicians absolutely need to be prepared to correct any misinformation that their patients may have and to send them to reliable sources that have good uh, patient or public-focused information. The CDC.gov is doing a really wonderful job with that. I do think it's wise to recommend that people limit their media exposure so that they don't become fixated or overwhelmed. How much that is will differ for each person. I don't think there's a magic time limit of 30 minutes a day or an hour a day of news <laughs> consumption. I think the general rule of thumb is that if it's interfering with getting other things done or if the thoughts are intrusive for you, so they're interrupting your thoughts related to work or trying to sleep, then that means that you've hit the limit and it's too much and that's a signal to turn it off. There is so much to discuss here related to behavioral health and COVID-19, and a lot of it can get kind of heavy, uh, but is there anything positive related to mental health and COVID-19 that you'd like to end on? I think in addition to the expansion of telemedicine and telehealth services for behavioral health services, the other thing that I am optimistic about is that if our patients are able to access resources, including some of the ones we've talked about already today, that the skills that we learn to cope with this stress and anxiety will translate to other parts of their lives as we move out of this pandemic. For example, children who learn how to belly breathe well will better be able to deal with school-related stress. And adults who learn how to challenge cognitive distortions will be able to participate in healthier relationships. And as physicians, if we learn how to discuss, assess, and address mental health issues, we'll be able to care more comprehensively for our patients. Dr. Valerie Smith, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Anna. It was a pleasure. Thank you to the audience for joining us for this podcast today. We will continue to post more COVID-19 related podcasts as part of the TMA Practice Well podcast series, including an upcoming episode on physician behavioral health. For additional resources, please visit TMA's COVID-19 resource page at www.texmed.org slash COVID-19. We'll see you on the next podcast and please stay safe and well. Thank you for listening to this CME to go program. Go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's C-M-E-T-O-G-O and register for your podcast to access resources discussed and then follow the posted instructions to claim your CME credit.